All right, welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. Hope everyone is having a good night. Uh, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and as always, joined by the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Oh, not a whole lot. Um, pretty stoked about the weather forecast coming up here. It's trending warmer, and uh, the satellite imagery proved Lake Erie is more open than I thought it would be at 80% ice coverage. So I think we might be able to get on pretty soon, like four or five weeks. Fingers, yeah. fingers crossed. Heck yeah. The weather so. forecast is looking really good for me because primarily I'm heading south, but it's kind yeah. of keep me optimistic for when I get home, I can get on the water somewhere. Yeah. But uh, we'll figure yeah, out. are you heading out? Thursday or Friday? Thursday, I'm right? at like Thursday at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning. I'm going to try to get going as early as possible. Uh, I got to stop at Watts Bar because uh, I bought a couple of rods from Destin. So I'm completing my arsenal. So I'm going to scoop by his place uh, that he's staying in, in Tennessee, pick up some rods, and then head back down to my hotel. Because Friday I'm meeting up with Mr. Caleb Bell from Bass Quest and Mr. Alex Rudd, and we're going to go fishing out on – either chick or Watts. I haven't figured out where we're actually going yet. We just kind of had a group chat and we're like, all right, where are we going fishing boys? And uh, I'm super envious. It's going to be up here in the snow, working my desk job and Bailey's venturing the East coast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still doing work when we get down there. So, but either way, it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting. I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah. Hopefully going to get on some, some old bigs. Uh, That's going to be sure. It's like almost prime time. Yeah, I think we're hitting it pretty good. Uh, weather forecast looks really good because it's not like this time of year you don't really want that that sun, that nice weather. You want like some rain, overcast, so they'll chew, and that's what it looks like. So I'll have the uh, the hydronaut suit on all week long. Heck which yeah, I am, I am pretty pumped about, and uh, we're gonna be getting after it. But real quick, we have our first ever super sticker donation. Zach, uh, my man, Zach. Throwing, throwing us a bone. Uh, at least now I can buy a water on the way down to Tennessee, so I appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> One ninety nine special. I can get a pop tart at yeah, the gas station. You got me breakfast for Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Appreciate uh, Zach's in the house. Uh, Zach's another small angler, actually, up by uh, right near uh, Mr. Benjamin Nowak, who Saint Clair Low Key Hammer. Didn't he win a BFL last summer and? Uh, Crush the boat. A bigger weight than all the boaters. Yeah, I think he had like four more pounds than the boaters did. And like I think the boaters <laughs> eight and he had like twenty-two pounds. Yeah. The dude's a stud and he's yeah. a name that people need to start getting familiar with. Yeah. Uh, and he just took what third in the Hobie, right? Third in the Hobie third? on like Seminole, first time ever being there. And uh, I think the biggest accomplishment he's had in recent, he's uh he's having another kid. He just announced the other day he's going to be a father of two. So congrats. <laughs> He's, fishing bulls now, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about tournaments and everything. And I'm like, dude, you got a kid coming, man. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just messing. We'll figure out a way. He's a, Oh yeah. He's all around. The, the, he's all over the place. But uh, I think without further ado, we're going to bring him back on. Cause it has been a long time. Mr. Benjamin Nowak. What's going on, dude? He's oh, still you're muted. muted. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, I was like, I don't want to not have this muted, and then we hop on. No, what's going on, dude? 
Hey, hey, not much, <laughs> Come on, dude. You're, you're a podcaster, too. You should know the deal. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. It has been a long time. Last time I was on one of these, we did that small mouth um, panel with like six yeah. guys on here. So it was a lot of fun. But super stoked to just hop on here, talk to you guys, or talk with you guys about some really cool spring techniques and summer techniques and kind of finesse stuff that get big fish to bite. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both techniques, I know we're going to go on a couple, we're probably going to go on many tangents tonight. But the For two sure. techniques predominantly we'll be talking about are stuff that. I think a lot of people sleep on and are crazy fun, at least in my eyes, are crazy fun to fish because the bites are nutty. But uh, and they're kind of specific, man. They're kind of very specific bites, yeah. right? And, like, that's what gets – I don't know about you guys, but that's, like, what I like. I don't like just kind of casting and winding in the middle of no man's land and hope I get a bite. Like, I, I right. want to have purpose, and I feel like both these techniques are purposeful techniques. So, Yeah. I, th I think – the spy bait, obviously we're talking about spy baits and hair jigs. And I think the spy bait over the hair jig is a lot more versatile in the fact that you can be kind of creative with how you fish it. I think for what it's known now, it's predominantly a, a shallow water, clear water bait. But I think there's some creative ways of like you can tight line it, which would be it's like a really like a sleeper way to, to fish that. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things, man. Like I've obviously not, I've just barely scraped the surface with the spy bait, like predominantly clear water technique when I'm trying to fish it over shallow flats, suspend it up. But like I played with bottom tracing. I played with some of these, like where you reel it up and you get the bait to start to lift and then you drop it again, lift and drive it. So you can do a bunch of different things, but there's a lot of cool things we can talk about because there's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you get the different sizes of them too. So you can throw them on casting or spinning gear and you there's can, so much. You can that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think the, I think one of the biggest debates with it is straight fluorocarbon or uh leader to, well, just like braid to, to fluorocarbon. And that's, no, actually I think it's straight mono that guys throw on that. Yeah. Right? There's, there's some guys that just th throw straight mono. Um, there's some guys that say, hey, just throw straight fluoro. And then you have the guys. I mean, there's guys all across the spectrum. My personal preference, and I guess we'll start by kind of starting to dive into the spy bait thing. But like my setup for a spy bait and my setup for a hair jig is almost identical in the mm -hmm. sense that I'm throwing it on the same rod, reel, and line setup and overall leader. So I'm throwing it on a Temple Fork Outfitters walleye rod. It's a 7.6 medium light fast action. And I'll give you guys a hot take here in a little bit, but it's a $99 budget economy rod. But the biggest thing is like, it doesn't have a really whippy tip. Like a lot of guys go out there and want this rod. That's like super soft and crazy. But I think that actually takes away from a lot of what you're able to do with it. Like the castability. Cause when you go mm -hmm. to cast, right? Like if that tip keeps whipping, you're losing casting distance. Especially so it's real snappy is what you're saying. Exactly. Like when it hits, it pretty much stops, right? So it loads up well, but when it comes forward, it's not like bouncing. It just it snaps forward. Mm. Um, and mm. so I'm a big, big fan of that rod. It's a $99 rod, but we're actually coming out with a new hair jig, spy bait, small swim bait rod um, at TFO that's going to be even more dialed in than that one is. So really, really cool things coming down the pipe there. Um, and then real I throw it on is a medium to high speed gear ratio this is actually a six speed gear ratio reel so i know a lot of people talk about fishing on a five like you can't fish it slow enough i mean man if you're just barely creeping the handle i think you're going to be pretty much fine <laughs> 10 10 pound test braid or eight if you want to go down that low 
And then I fish both on six pound test for a carbon mm. line. But the big thing here, man, the big thing that I do with both those techniques is I have a really long fluorocarbon leader, like a 30 foot leader. Basically what they call it, um, David Swanside calls it top shotting, but essentially what it is is um, you get the benefit because the way that fluorocarbon comes off, a lot of times the reason that the cast gets really short when you have braid to fluoro is because you're not actually tends to get hung up in the guides, right? So by mm -hmm. having that top shot, the fluorocarbon can get the momentum to straighten out the guides before that knot comes through. So you can mm -hmm. actually cast it a little bit further than if you have a shorter leader. So that's kind of like my personal preference or like my biggest piece of advice for guys that want to go braid to fluoro is mm -hmm. tie that top shot, super, super long leader. It's going to help with um, fish that might be line shy or kind of wary of the bite. And it's also going to help casting distance wise. And lighter mm -hmm. line makes a huge, 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 like can't stress it enough difference. Like the difference between 15 pound test braid to like, 10 or 8 is night and day mm -hmm. oh yeah 100 i mean I'm, I'm not spinning reels unless it's like a you know grass and largemouth i'm pretty much predominantly around 10 pound braid to like a six or an eight and i i do i go braid to to floor carbon i usually do like a um uh, i haven't really played around with leader length much with spy baits i usually just do kind of like a standard for me is is where your uh your hook keeper is on your rod back to your reel that's kind of how I do it with leaders. Um, but I, I like that braid to fluoro because I know a lot of guys throw that spy bait up shallow, but I like to kind of try to target suspended fish. Uh, I, I tried to experiment with it this summer with New York lakes. There's a lot of like uh, a lot of the smallmouth just chase throughout the summer months. So I try to find those fish and try to target them with that spy bait, something a little bit more finesse. And I feel like, with that braid to fluoro, it's a little bit better of a hookup ratio. I don't know, at least with a mono, like especially if I'm bombed way, you know, 50 yards out, like you can with that, uh, like a seven foot four, seven foot six. If you have straight mono, like straight mono, I feel like you have a higher tendency to, you'll have a higher percentage of possibly losing that fish. The other big thing too is with that longer leader, like when you hit them on braid, it actually almost acts as a shock absorber, right? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By the time that you're getting to the point where just your fluorocarbon is in your reel, you're about ready to get ready to net that fish anyways. And so you get the ability to set the hook, move that hook a long ways with the braid, but it's not quite as abrupt as if it's like a shorter leader. So right. Yeah. Another point too, talking about that gear ratio, I like that. I think I have mine's like a six two or six three to one. I prefer that and I kind of I'm kind of that way across the board. Like even my, my cranking rods are sometimes I think they're like six eights, six point eights, because like especially with smallmouth, I mean if I hook one deep on a spy bait and it comes you know, it, it comes shooting up, I mean you gotta catch up to them because if you knock any slack in that line, no bueno. So that's like yeah. my biggest fear is slower gear ratios because of that that reason. Well, like a hundred percent, man. And I've played with some slow gear ratio reels and I don't know that I've really noticed that big of a difference between like a slow gear ratio and the number of bites that I get as compared to like higher speed gear ratio. I think there is benefit to having like that six speed gear ratio reel to mm -hmm. catch up to those fish that mm -hmm. are surging towards you and just keep mm -hmm. them connected. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that we can dive going to help too. Exactly. Dude. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some good questions here too. Like Jacob Meeker is asking what kind of knot you use. Uh, I have become a believer in the FG. I don't know about both of you. 
What do you throw, Andrew? Um, was it the Alberto? I believe yeah. I'm terrible with not names. I, I it's just <laughs> so easier. Nice. It's quicker. It's more convenient for me. I can tie an Alberto knot in like 25 seconds. I feel like where the FGM fumbling, I got. I'm an old wrestler, so I have not, not the best movement <laughs> in my fingers. So I, I've never truly had an issue with the Alberto with the thinner braid and fluorocarbon diameters as I do when I'm like flipping braid to fluoro. So I can almost put together a lot quicker. Just yeah. big, the big thing I have, um, one thing I used to do when I first started fishing was I would actually go backwards on it on accident, go fluoro over the braid. And I learned that was a no-no. And now that I, like three or four years ago, I was like, why why the hell am I always breaking it in my knot? It was because I was doing it backwards, but that's just my own <laughs> issues. So yeah, man, but I'm now, the same way, right? Like the, the ability to tie that knot so much faster, if mm -hmm. it does get hung or it does wrap because it's going to happen, that can fat tie it so much faster than something. I'm not very confident. Yeah. It's just and the other thing is too, that I've learned with the Alberto is if you do like the 10 to 12 to 15 wraps with it down and back up, you can almost elongate that knot out and still keep the strength of it too. So you can spread it out a little further with like more wraps is what you're saying. Yeah. Ooh. And you can almost make it thinner. That's crazy. See, yes. I'm like a, I'm like a seven, eight wrap guy. Like I'm so yeah. OCD too, which doesn't mm -hmm. help my situation at all. But like it's eight up and then nine, 10 by the time I get it through the loop, like my yep. brain. So, so I started going like 10 to 12 with it when I go down to six pound test. And if you pull, if you slowly pull that knot together, you can almost elongate it out like the FG knot and it comes through your guides better, but you, you just have to be careful how you do it. Cause if it's too elongated, you lose strength, but you can oh, almost get it you. flat. You can almost get it flat on the line where you don't get that little bump. Yeah. That little one. Yeah. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. I'm going to have to try that now. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. You're going to make your OCD go nuts. No. <laughs> kind, of in line with that, dude. kind of in line with that. Shadow Baston said, with the trend towards micro guides, wouldn't larger guides be an advantage for casting the knot more smoothly? Yes, but also I feel like, if you know, especially if you're going to have leader, 10-pound braid to, you know, 8-pound fluorocarbon is not going to leave much of a, a knot. For in terms of, of size, I mean, I don't think even if you have micro guides, especially on a, on a spinning rod, you're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think micro guides when you're you know throwing 40 pound fluorocarbon and 20 pound or a 40 pound braid, 20 pound fluorocarbon, you're flipping a jig, that's a that's a different story, yeah. Um, and that's a whole different show, a whole different rabbit hole to go down. You know, it's really interesting, man. Totally, totally different rabbit hole, like you said. I've seen companies like moving away, like back away from micro guides, like companies are realizing, or at least me up North, like I don't buy a rod that doesn't have standard guides. Same. I fish too early in the year, like I'm fishing cold weather conditions. I want as big of a guide on that thing as possible. Cause I don't want it to ice up. So <laughs> Alex Rudd is correct. I do like them <laughs> thick girls, man. I like them big, thick girls. If you don't, then you're probably in the wrong show. <laughs> I think uh, Alex spelled girls wrong, though. It should be G-U-R-L-S. There you go. Of <laughs> the multiple C's there. Yeah. There, a really good question here from 247 Bass. Uh, we already have some fire questions coming in, yeah. so really kudos to you guys. Uh, do you need to be on a school of fish with a spide bait, or is it a lure you can cover water with? I think both, dude, because like on certain bodies of water, I've used it where I 
kind of just go down the bank and just cast that structure with it where I might not be able to find or see fish on that backside, but that spy bait creeping over top of them can kind of lure them out. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, man, like a spy bait is so versatile in the sense that I want to be in an area where I have confidence that their fish are living, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. something I'm just going to pick up and try to like burn down a bank or cover water. But if I know there's fish on this general flat or I know there's like isolated pieces of cover, whether it's a boulder or it's, um, you know, maybe a slight ledge that comes off. I have total confidence picking that thing up and throwing it, which is where we start to get into the hair jig thing, right? Like when the conditions to me feel right, you get that kind of slicked off conditions, high sun, kind of negative, what I would typically consider negative bass mood conditions. That's what I'm going to pick up that spy bait. Um, and I have no problem throwing it as long as I'm confident there should be fish in the area. Would you qualify a spy bait as a search bait or do you think it's more of kind of like a jerk bait where you know fish are in the area and you're just trying to elicit a different bite? A spy bait to me is more like a, a swim bait in the sense like, I mean, I'm talking, not talking like a, a paddle tail swim. Bait. I'm talking like a big swim bait. Like it is a big fish technique. Uh, yeah. Big. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> like the drawing power on both, a, a spy bait and a hair jig is like absolutely ridiculous in the sense yeah. <laughs> these fish, it, it looks halfway normal in their environment, just like a big swim bait does. They don't see it a ton and it actually draws bigger fish to these baits because it is so natural. Like there's secondary action, there's natural action in the spy bait. And to me, it's like a, it's like a big swim bait. It's, it's the same sort of concept. Yeah. If, if anyone in the chat has never watched a smallmouth or largemouth eat a spy bait or hair jig in clear water, it is vicious and it is amazing because they come out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. It's just, so. it's like one of those things you can fish over deep water as long as it's clear water and they'll come out from the depths. I mean, it's kind of like a jerk bait in that aspect as well as you don't need to like in clear water and 20 foot of water. I've you know thrown a 110 and had them come up from the bottom to eat it. It's kind of like the same way with the spy bait. Go ahead, Andy. Sorry, I interrupted you. I was going to say, um, when I first learned about the spy bait, I want to say it was probably five years ago when people didn't know anything about them. And there's a spawning flat in Buffalo that you can go down. And we probably caught 60 to 80 fish in like four or five hours on it. And it's like six to 10 foot deep, but gin clear. So you can see everything. And you'll see a little rock pile and you'll cast out by it. And also you just see a black shadow. You're like, oh, I'm going to catch him. You just pause it and then start reeling ever so slowly and just disappears from like 70 feet away. It was the coolest bite ever. And yeah, it it, if nobody's ever fished it, they have to buy one and try until you get one. Because once you get one to bite, you're hooked. It's it's a ride. Oh, yeah. yeah, when you bomb that thing, you can't find your, your bait. But you're like, oh, look, there's a smallmouth there. And then your rod's getting yanked out of your hand. You're like, oh, I found my bait. Here it is. <laughs> So this is another thing I find really interesting. Like we talk about how insanely quick they come up and eat these baits, but at the same time, it's also like a really, it's most times it's a push bite, right? Like they're not coming up and like hitting this thing and spinning away from it. Same with a hair jig. Like it's typically a steady retrieve. It's really slow, kind of methodical. And then they just kind of come up and overtake it and just kind of keep coming towards you. So here's the hot take, man. Like I actually think a lot of people spend, way too much money on bass fishing rods for these techniques, spy bait and air jig, and even a small swim bait, right? Like most of the time, all you need is to have the right action to actually load up onto that fish. So when you do realize that your line is 
not where it's supposed to be. You can lean, get a good hook set and fight that fish back to the boat. And um, there's not really a moderately expensive hair jig spy bait, small swim bait rod that's on the market. And that's kind of what TFO and I are working on to come up with because a lot of times you don't feel that bite. Like, yes, they hit it quick, but a lot of times they're like coming to you or they're pushing it. So you just need something that fights that fish well that you're not spending $200 on, especially to fish it. Like what? How many times do you throw a hair jig a year around the spawn for like three weeks and then you throw a spy bait for maybe a month and a half, two months throughout the summer? But That pretty much sums it up, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a small time frame, honestly. It's, it's pretty a specific summer bite. Because I haven't experimented with it much in the fall. I'm sure it could probably work. But at that Me point either. in time, I mean, if they're already destroying an A-Rig, why would you throw anything else? Uh, yeah, like, exactly. They're hitting a exactly. crankbait. They're hitting a football jig. I mean, I could think of a bunch of other different things. But, but it's a great point. But I, I also have to say, I, I, I got to kind of almost disagree, but also partially agree, because I'm kind of 50-50 where I've had them push it, and it's almost like a rapid fire, and then, they, and then you're just kind of reeling to catch up. But I've yeah. also had it where, like, I've watched them come up and eat it and they are spinning as soon as they eat it. And they have that almost head first in them, which is interesting. I uh, got you. But I think for the most part it is a, they are chasing it, but it's, it's an interesting topic to kind of think about, but like, yeah, rod wise, I mean, you don't need anything crazy. I think it's no different than like a cranking stick. I mean, you don't need to spend a hundred uh, over a hundred, 150 bucks for a rod that's going to get the job done and job done. Well, I mean, it's, you're seeing more and more of these rods that are $100 to $150 that are feathers. You know, and a lot mm -hmm. of guys, they go expensive. Man, I was one of them where I spend more money because I wanted a, a rod that was light like a feather. And now they're, you can get them at those low costs and they're yes. good. Too. Um, so my whole thing kind of rabbit hole here on the expensive rod take, even yeah. though you can get a rod at a hundred to $150 that might be as light as a feather, I feel like you lose out on some things like the crispness of the rod in most instances, or it'll actually be light as a feather or it'll be too wimpy, if that makes sense. Like the action is too soft. And for those techniques to cast them out there far enough, you need a really good quick action to that rod fast or even like an extra fast tip with that parabolic action. And so you're not compromising it on the cast. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where those expensive rods kind of do come into play. I, I am personally an expensive rod person. I like, I like the sensitivity, the lightness. It's just, I have really bad elbows and wrists, so I need light, crisp rods that I'm comfortable fishing with all day. So I'm, yeah, that's my, my big, hot take. My big thing on that too is like, I agree. It's just a matter of like, for this technique, if you get a rod that has that right crisp action, right? Like that's what, mm -hmm. that's kind of where I was pushing for that was like, it's, I don't like to throw out company names. If you're going to throw like a really expensive rod for this technique that a lot of guys talk about, there's, there's certain, there, the improvements are. Minuscule is what yeah. you're trying to say. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But you get it. Yeah, I agree with you. Because, yeah. like, my drop shot rod is so insanely specific. And, like, mm -hmm. I know what the difference feels like between a, a soft, like, when I go to um, move my bait and it's not moving or it's, like, yeah. too mushy. I mean, so mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting question from Keystone Fishing. He said, spy bait or jerk bait, you can only have one for the rest of your life. Which are you choosing? I'm going That's jerk bait. Tough. I'm going jerk bait. If I was going to try to be competitive and like tournament fish a lot for the rest of my life, I'd go jerk bait. But for fun fishing, I'm going spy bait 100%. I just, yeah. man, I love power fishing with the jerk bait. See, so, but I can I can fish a spin uh, a spy bait all day long. A jerk bait I can fish for an hour and then I'm sore as hell for the next week. <laughs> oh, this is a hard one for me because where I live, and Ben, you understand Great Lakes like that sight visual fishing for giant smallmouth, and a jerk bait is fun. But I personally think I would have to go to spy bait just because there's some specific stuff, as you know, where. They're only going to probably eat that spy bait or a couple other little things, and watching them eat that is just incredible. See, that's that's for me. Like that's why I like the hair jig bite. Like yeah. that's why I like to throw the hair jig. The spy bait's cool, but I've just never gotten like on the that bite. Like yeah. when it's right, right, right. Whereas the hair jig, I've done it. Like I've I've seen it. I've watched it happen. Like I can look at this boulder and be like, okay, here we go. Make that cast and like watch him come out and track it and get all the way to the boat and spin around and then go back and make the same cast and catch him. So that's awesome. Yeah, Oklahoma's worst angler, my man. Thank you for the shout out. You're dreaming too, man. <laughs> I'm jealous of the beard. I'm jealous of the beard. I think it's what's funny about uh, quick sidebar. Apologies to the folks. Uh, but Alex, if you watch his live streams, he's always chewing on his beard and his mustache. Yes. Yeah, yes. I can almost get there. Like mine is to the point where I'm probably going to start getting yelled at at the bank because it's almost to that point. Dude, see, like I always say to myself, I, I want to grow like a beard out. But once it gets like to the point where I got to trim it, just cut so, it off. So that's the issue. You have to get past the point of trimming it because once you get past that point, it no longer is itchy. It's just like I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, or like <laughs> if it starts to overhang your lip. Yeah, that's just ooh. yeah. I I'll, I do trim around the lip, but that's about it. And then because <laughs> I'm a banker, so I have to be kind of a little clean. I'm a little fuzzy now, but I usually trim up my edges. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. And you're being requested for your email in the comment section. I just sent my email a few minutes ago. Oh, maybe I didn't see. It. I'm still trying to catch up. Everybody's, you guys are killing it in the chat tonight. Uh, let's see. Really, oh, here's a good question. How deep is too deep to throw spy baits? Okay, uh, so this is where we really get into the different sizes of spy baits that are available because yeah. it, they have really fine tuned it to the point where they have spy baits for almost every situation from a G fix. Well, I mean, they have like the G fix 60, which is like not a bass spy bait. Then they have an 80. They might even have a smaller one, no, a 70 or something. But like the 80 standard is really like that 10 foot or less range sort of spy bait. Mm -hmm. Then they have the G fix, which is almost like the 80, but it's has a little bit better castability, sinks at like a fraction of a foot faster per second but doesn't track like quite as straight it tracks more nose down um so really there is no the i guess a long way to the answer is there really is no depth too deep you just have to understand how that bait is going to react to the way you're turning the handle and if it's going to have lift on it um and yeah you have to really play with it yeah 
That's not Andy, a good answer. <laughs> There's so many variables. Andy, do you have the 90 with you? I only have 80s up here with me. I have a 90 without hooks. That's fine. So here is a 90 in Ghost Minnow. So I do have an 82, so let me hold them up here together. Yeah, so. It's a little bit taller, right? No, it's actually, I believe that, yeah, maybe like a a centimeter or two taller. It's a a fraction, but the 80 is on top. See if I can do it this way as I'm sticking them in my hands. Those uh, those hooks are so good. Those duo hooks are so sticky. I feel like a huge variable though is water clarity. Like for it could be dependent on how deep you yeah. could throw it. Because like like kind of what we we're mentioning. Trying to make it work. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're about the same. The ninety is just I think it's like an eighth of an inch longer. It's not much. But Maybe I think this you, will work. Like, there we go. So the tail's in the same exact spot and it's just a hair bit longer. For the ninety over the eighty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how, how deep, Glenn, do you know, Andy, do you know the weight for the 90? I, I only have 80s up here. I don't know. 80s is a three-eighths ounce, um, or like... I want to say it's a half. I, it's just slightly heavier. It could even be like a 7 16th. Yeah. I've never really messed around with it much. I mostly throw the 80s, so... Yeah, if you but, can buy one, like if you're going to buy and invest in one uh, spy bait to get into it, I would say the ADG fix because you can cast it, bait caster or spinning setup. It casts way better than the standard 80, just the way that it's weighted, even though it has almost the exact same action. And then the color that I would choose, they just actually, they just released the shiner color. Like that's mm. a regular color now. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, which before they didn't have. It looks just like Emerald Shiner. That's my favorite color. That's sick. Yeah, I think the biggest variable, though, is water clarity for that. I mean, it it depends. Like, if you're trying to target fish that are on the bottom, specifically, because, like, that needs a whole other deal. But, like, if you're trying to target fish to bring them up from off the bottom, I'd say, I mean, I'm not – if the water's crystal, I won't be afraid to throw that in 30 just because I know that that's an aggressive bait, kind of like how Ben touched on. It's like a big swim bait where it has a lot of drawing power. They're not going to be afraid to – come up and obviously try to eat it. So um, Snake River guy says, uh, or asking, uh, when do you even decide to pick up a spy bait? What time of year, water temp, cute? Uh, biggest thing for me is crystal clear water. And that's the big, that's the first thing. And then uh, for me, it's a, it's a summer bait. I've never really experimented with it in the fall or early spring just because they're hitting other stuff that I don't even need to pick it up. Uh, what do you guys think? Same for me, pretty much. Like, for me, it's it's more of a summer technique. After, like, basically, when they're spawning, basically through like late summer is when I'm going to have a spy bait tied on. Yeah, I was going to say mine is like 58 degree. I want to say it's right around that 60 degree temp when I've gotten the bite to go really good. So right at right before they start getting on the beds and they get grouped up really well, you can really pound on them with the spy bait because they're still eating bait. Um, I know we have some minnows and bait fish that will spawn right before the smallies do. So it's a really good time for it. And then all the way through fall, I'll throw it in spots. 
So in the same phenomenon that I had happened a couple of years ago, I was fishing this lake. These fish like weren't on beds when we started the day. Um, as I moved through the day, like fish were starting to push up on these flats and start starting to roam. And you could sort of see them because it's crystal clear water. But what mm -hmm. was happening was it started overcast. Like the day started out really nasty, overcast. We are fishing isolated boulders. So I was picking up a hair jig. I was picking up actually um, a brown and white hair jig. This is what I like to fish when I'm fishing around Mayfly Hatch or I'm fishing around a lake that has a lot of crawfish. So I picked up a brown and white hair jig and I was fishing this around in the overcast um, conditions while my buddy was fishing a spy bait and I smashed him. Like it was like five to one, 10 to one, the number mm -hmm. of bites. Well, then all of a sudden the, the sun started poking out, still glass calm conditions. You could see forever. But as soon as that sun came out, that spy bait like just took over. I think it's the way that the light hits those props and the light actually like makes that bait mm -hmm. really kind of look like a natural bait fish through the water that he smashed me. Like it wasn't even funny. Kind of like a, almost like on a minute scale, but like a spinnerbait blade. Yeah. Yeah. You get sort of like that refraction and reflection off the blades and right. going through the body and he was throwing a translucent body. So it wasn't like, super obvious like a, a hair jig but right yeah yeah it was crazy do you i think i think that is kind of like a general rule of thumb because we have a couple of questions i know warren beard's asking you know best conditions for a spy bait and it's i think it's the only time I, I i've never experimented it with it over overcast and i think it's a good example ben you brought up of how it can be how they both have their advantages for different conditions but i think it's got to be it's got to be sunny and it's got to be clear water and slick calm or else I'm probably not going to pick up that spy bait. Yeah. I mean, my most successful days have been sunny. Like there has <laughs> to be, there has to be some sun for me to have the confidence to really throw it. Like I've not even really, I can't even say I've thrown it in overcast conditions. I, I have caught them in overcast conditions, but they will only eat one color and that's the plain white one like the bright pearl with the purple head. That's yeah. the only one they'll eat when the clouds are out. So do you think it's more of like, it just looks more natural? Like it's not a super translucent bait or what do you think? I, I think it just stands out better because a lot of those spy baits are very translucent. So they need that sun to reflect off those blades with that pearl one, with that shimmy, it still reflects enough in that dull, dreary condition that they can track it from a ways away. It's sort it of like the how you choose a trap color, like when you're fishing a trap for smallmouth, right? Like yeah. going with like a more translucent color and, or a chrome color in sunny conditions and going to a more flattened, opaque, like white color and, you know, Correct. overcast yeah. conditions. Yeah. That's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I mean, this is going to stick out way more than a translucent hard bodied spy bait. I mean, especially if those mm -hmm. blades can't reflect off anything that's obviously going to stand out. And I think it's kind of like a similar to the argument over matte or matte colored or translucent jerk baits in conditions. Right. I mean, I think that's a yeah. very similar argument. Um, but I'm trying to think, I mean, our hair, do you kind of talking about the hair jigs for a second here? I know we're kind of bouncing around them uh, on each, each bait, but when it comes to conditions or hair jigs are, you know, obviously it can excel in overcast, but are you throwing that in clear conditions as well? Mm-hmm. I throw them both. For me, for me, a hair jig is a shallow water. Well, the shallow water way that I fish a hair jig is you look for isolated pieces of cover or um, 
kind of like a certain bottom composition areas, bottom composition changes where I'm going to be throwing it. And a lot of times it's a very visual thing. Like it's moderately shallow water. Like if I can't see bottom, whether bottoms in 12 or bottoms in six, like I'm not going to typically throw it. Right. But yeah. Do you, Andy, how much have you thrown hair jigs? Okay, zero. But okay. when I'm casting for uh, bass, zero. But I do have a bunch of marabou jigs for steelhead fishing. Okay. And fun little fact about a marabou jig is in the springtime, if you ever have smallmouth that run the tributaries, you can go down there with like a little tiny float with like a couple split shots and pop them for those stream lake smallies that come up and spawn, and they will obliterate them underneath the bobber. It is absolutely a blast. That's insane. Yeah, like you can do just absolutely incredible numbers. So there's a guy in the chat called Sean Ferkins. We used to do it all the time in the spring. Um, in the Cataraugus, there was a stretch. Like it got to a point I would tie a purple and black marabou and fish underneath the bobber. And I would cast it out in this one run, close my eyes, shake the bobber three <laughs> times, and just set the hook. And there would be a fish on. Like, And they're all three to five pounders, just dumb. So I know the power of it. I just, I haven't found the right rod to translate it into open water and there's other things I'd rather do. So, but it is something I want to learn to do. So I'm, That's like I'm actually looking forward to stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But in the stream of current. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I had a whole other episode of that float and fly. Good grief. But yeah, it, I've never really done it. So I don't, I can't say anything. I've watched, I've watched somebody do it once. And kicked my butt with it, and I was was like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's gonna take me a while to learn that. But, my hair jig deal was like that for me. My buddy Durs like beat my eyes, and we were fishing the spawn tournament. Neither of us were very good like sight fishermen, and we didn't go into it like having fish marked. And so, like last twenty minutes of the day, we pull out to this rock jetty that we knew fish should have been staging on, and he just knocked my eyes out with a hair jig. I played that man and we did pretty well in the tournament. So, yeah. Well, what I was going to get at with the question, uh, I'm, I'm just picturing that rock jetty right now. And I'm actually really jealous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you have a brown, right? That brown tan color, and then you have a black. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you choose in between? Because I have only confidence in the black. I've had times where. I've been on certain bodies of water where they wouldn't touch the brown. They'd come check it out, but they'd only commit to the black. 99.99% of the time, it's going to be a black air jig. Like almost all of the time, it's going to be black. Uh, with the only exception being if there's mayfly slicks, then I'm going to pick up the brown. Right? Like that's the only time in my brain where I'm going to say they're going to eat a brown hair jig because it looks maybe like a mayfly swimming through the upper part of the column. Besides that, like, I don't know what this looks like. I really have no idea. But, a leech. Like, it, yeah, a leech. That's about all I can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that looks like crap. <laughs> regardless of what it is, they the absolutely smash it. And I say all these things, but, like, I tie olive, and I tie them with chartreuse in them, and I get all excited because it's have the middle of winter. Have you tried pure white? not. So here's a little tidbit for you. Tie some pure white ones with a gold head with a little bit of gold flash shaboo. On a cloudy day, you might be able to get them to eat that. Hmm. Did you say flash That would be sweet. Flash oh, Yeah, flash 
I hold on. <laughs> that was a weird term for me. <laughs> but I think there's I think there's something to touch on here that's kind of important is that these are these baits busting out the box. <laughs> so someone in the comments was asking if I buy mine or if I tie my own. I tie my own. I started like I started when I realized that I had nothing better to do throughout the winter. But flashaboo dude, like I have this gold flash. I have so many different colors of flash because I tie it in my jigs too. So like mm -hmm. I tie it in my flipping jigs because nice. it's, it's sneaky, sneaky up here. But flashaboo is legit. Let's just put it that way. Like and you don't need a bunch, like two, like maybe two, three a couple strands. strands, like a couple strands of flash. Yep. You always, so when you tie it, I used to tie my own hair jigs a lot for steelhead and stream bats. So when you tie it, you put your thread on first. And then you glue your thread, right? So you get yep. that sticky part. And then you'll put your flashaboo on on the bottom side so the hook point will be down. You put <laughs> that flashaboo on the back. And then yep. you wrap it a couple more times, dab a glue, and then you put your marabou on it. And then keep tying. And then you're good to go. Hmm. Yeah. And the same thing with like a, a – I don't know how much I should share. With a swim jig. Sorry. Dude, with a swim jig, <laughs> if you tie – I learned this when I was following one of the guys on tour last year. If you tie flash into your darker colored swim jigs, it actually really accentuates all the other colors in that swim jig, um, especially in dirty water situations. So like tan at water, I'll fish a darker color swim jig with a little bit of flash boo. And I swear, like it just outfishes a standard, you know, silicone jig and living rubber is a totally different situation, but it's yeah, totally different topic. It is amazing. Yeah. I can't believe you never heard of Flashaboo. I'd never heard like, of it. So you, know you know that crystal that's in the brown one that you held up? That's Flashaboo. Yeah, yeah. That's Flashaboo. That, that right there? Yeah. Ah. And it comes in all different sizes. Like I think you can get like one millimeter, two millimeter, and then they yeah. make it up to like five millimeter, which is like this brick like brick thickness to it. Yeah. That, yeah. But it looks so cool if you tie it in the right situation. Right. Okay. Let's see. Real quick, because I know we, we talked about it, uh, but I think we kind of skimmed over it briefly of kind of like a determination of what we we're what we we're talking about. And Forrest, uh, a friend of the show, asked about um, line preferences. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit of the braid to fluoro. I'm personally a fan of it because I throw it shallow and deep. I think it depends. And feel free to disagree with me here, guys. I think if you're someone that likes to throw it out deeper. I think a braid to fluoro is the way to go. But if you're shallow, more impactful, more aggressive bites, I think straight mono is the way to go because it has more more of a uh, a give to that vision. I don't know. Maybe the rod is just the biggest determinant, but I feel like if you're predominantly throwing it shallow with how vicious those bites are, I think mono, straight mono is the way to go. Because I've, I've done both, and they both worked well. You threw mono on a spy bait? Yeah, so really quick story. Uh was at a, a fed tournament. I was fishing, uh, practicing with my buddy Liam and our buddy Tom on a separate boat. His boat broke down. So they left me on his boat to trolling motor to a marina so they could drive back the 10 miles to go grab his truck and all that. Uh, beyond the point, basically, he's like, feel free to use my rods, whatever you want. And he, he had a, uh, like a Fantasista, uh, reg no, he had a Premier Regista, Re Regista, Regista. Do you, how do you pronounce it, Ben? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about, but I don't know. All right, but so he had straight mono on it. I think it was eight pound mono, and I never tried it. I didn't 
really know if I like it. I, I but I threw it and like the second cast, I hooked up into it. It was actually kind of nice how it loaded up with straight mono. Yeah, it's a dirty. It's like a dirtier water technique where I've heard of guys doing it down south. I've never done it, but yeah. I'm a braid guy. I'm I'm a braid guy in all my spinning techniques because I don't like picking out wind knots as much. So. Yeah, and I don't want to retie or respool uh, a reel with mono every other day because that, yeah. that'll probably. But I think it's really all personal preference, how you fish it, where you fish it. Um, let's see. I'm trying to catch up on these questions here. But oh, they were coming thing, in like wildfire. Yeah. <laughs> one quick question I have for you, Ben, uh, is how important do you think the style of head is? Because, like, I have two different brands here. Like, I have the Fighter Fly, yep. which is more of, like, that more pointed head. And then I have, I think this is VMC's Marabou, where it's just a ball head. How important do you think that plays into a hair jig and how it's action, I guess? you know. Um, I think the biggest thing is, so I actually tie mine on a do-it molds. This is the Midwest finesse head. I don't know if you guys can see that. It's yeah, it's just, like a little mushroom stick. head. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a mushroom head. head. It is a net head. Um, I don't think the head necessarily matters to as long as it swims straight through the water and, you can, and it's a 90-degree line tie. Like I, a 90 degree line tie for me on a hair jig is really, really key. Same thing. Like if I'm fishing a swim bait up in the water column, like I fished on a 90 degree tie just because of the way that it keeps that bait leveled out and planed out horizontally. Um, but I don't know that head style really plays that big of a key. What about weight, like size of the head, Logan Sullivan? I'm throwing a 332nd almost exclusively if I'm swimming it. So if I'm swimming it, 332nd is like my favorite size. I'll go up to an eighth if I'm fishing in like 10 plus foot of water, but most of the time it's a 332nd. Now, are you doing the uh, the old bit of plastic trick on there too? Yeah, so I modded So I modded actually my net rig mold to accept. It normally takes like a really, really short bait keeper on there. And so I modded it, and if you guys can see this, I put a long, long bait keeper in there. It comes like almost three quarters oh, nice. of the way down the hook. And so that's actually really key because I was putting these chunks on of max scent and I get it like up there and then it fall down like two casts later up there, I fall down like two casts later. So having that longer, um, you guys can't really see it. Having that longer bait keeper helps keep that bait way up there. So that's another really big thing there. So I don't want to glance over this. You mentioned you put max scent for the part. Well, talk talk about so that. For a Does that I'm, play at all, do you think? I don't know. I don't know, really, truly. But that's an interesting. Ability, so, like, when things get tough, I, I don't. I was never a big believer in scent. Just never really was. Like, scent is whatever. But there was a time – this last year, Alex and I were going bed fishing. And if anyone's ever bed fished for smallmouth, there's this big saying like smallmouth on a bed will eat absolutely anything, which 99% of the time is true. Mm -hmm. I spilled gas on my hands when I went out fishing. And I'm not kidding when I said I could not get a bite, dude. Like Alex and I would fish the same fish on a bed. I flip in, this fish would like get really negative and like swim way off the bed and like leave. We'd come back to that fish, and like 10 minutes later, Alex would flip in, and he'd catch that fish like second or third cast. And then I started like really getting in my head, wash my hands, and I started catching these fish. 
And then I saw it like later in the year where max scent plays a big deal on pressured fish, like a negative fish. It just gives them another reason to bite when maybe they would otherwise not. So right. you're just appealing to more senses. Yeah, and when I've... a lot of guys are fishing around you, like in most situations, like if you're dropping on fish and there's no other pressure on the lake, you can get those fish to go on just about anything. But mm -hmm. when those fish are pressured and you're fishing a lake like Lake St. Clair or you're fishing a place that fish see a lot of baits and they consistently get pressure, that scent just gives them a little bit more incentive, like no yeah. pun intended, to bite that bait. Yeah. And, and not to mention, too, it actually helps you cast the bait a little further, too, because it makes it a little denser and heavier. So yes. you're going to get that extra 5 to 10 feet out of it, possibly. Because you know that marabou gets caught up in the air as you're casting it, and it's like... It's yeah, like, it's like an umbrella. It, exactly, and like that little piece of worm, I just use the back end of a hit worm or a flat worm, whatever I have mm -hmm. laying in the bottom of the boat, and just push yeah. it up on there. Yeah. Now, do you ever leave like the full plastic on there for like a tail effect? I played with it a little bit. I don't know that it actually helped me get more bites. Like I played with it on the brown one that day that I was catching them on a hair jig, but hmm. like uh, you're talking like a bigger hair jig, almost like a ledge type of hair jig. No, I took I, I took a little I took a little piece of the flatworm and I like left enough where it would hang off the back and like sort of wiggle. I think it, it a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if it helps or if it just kind of takes away from the hair jig, but a hair jig literally does nothing. Like it looks like the dumbest thing. It's like Oh yeah. Which it does like, nothing, but it's doing a lot at the same time. Yeah. That's I think that's something that's really important to point out because like at least for me, and I'm sure there's people that are simple minded like I am, where uh when you first start throwing a hair jig, you see it in the water and you're like, This thing's doing absolutely nothing, you have no confidence in it because it looks stupid, stupid and boring. But like I went and I put goggles on, I went underwater, and it's crazy how it actually like pendulums with that hair. Uh but like I think it what's it's important to know that there's a, a learning curve with a, a spy bait and a hair jig it's more of just a, and it's kind of cliche but you just really just need to keep it in your hands for a while because once you get those first couple of bites you're gonna start dialing that in it's not a crate they're not crazy complex baits to learn they're pretty simple in how you fish them it's just more of learning a when and where and what kind of different variables you need to kind of maneuver around them and like which one because they're both similar i think in how you fish them it's just I like. I think the biggest thing, like we talked about, was conditions on which one you choose over the other. Yeah, there is a natural action. the The benefit of hair is that hair is part of something living, or at one point it was part of something living, right? So, mm -hmm. I think it has a natural look or action underwater. And the marabou actually breathes and moves as you swim this thing along. So you'll know if you tie a good one pretty pretty quickly because it doesn't track straight, or it wants to roll, or like it's too short. And then the hair does nothing. Like it literally will be at the back of the hook and just look like a little blob. But if you tie a good hair jig, it actually does have like a little, like almost a little movement to it. But yeah, um, yeah. you can tell pretty fast because I've tied a lot of bad ones. Right. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of real bad. It took a lot of bad ones to get a couple of good ones. So. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get it perfect off the bat. I mean, it's kind of tough, but yeah, it's funny. You're like, yeah, the hair, it's like a living thing. Like, Brennan Chapman puts, uh, you haven't lived until you've cut Ben Milliken's camera guy's hair and caught smallies on hand-tied jig, which is funny because yeah. I don't know if anybody listen or watches Jay Seaman's channel, 
he literally has a video where he just walks up to his cat, cuts the cat's hair, ties a jig, and then catches, I think, like a lake or something through the ice. But that that was that is pretty funny. Because you could get creative with that. Let's see. How long of leader? Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit. The length yeah, really of leader. Long, like 30 foot. 30 foot. Yeah. I'm going to play around with that because I, I, like I mentioned, I only went to from like real handle to the base of the reel. So I think that's what I'll play around with this, with, with this year is, is that. And you know, you do 30 foot for both hair jig and spy bait. And spy bait. But you know what's really funny is I'm not like a long leader guy most of the time. I actually, from a drop shot, I tie to a swivel that doesn't even go inside my guide. So like it might be four foot off the top of my hook. So I'm not normally a long leader guy. It's all about like the functionality of being able to cast it. So you say you use a swivel? Mm-hmm. Some people I, do, I use, yeah. I use I'm number good. eight swivel. It's it's t- an eight or ten from VMC or you can get it from owner, but they're just tiny, tiny swivels. And I just reel it right up to the tip of the guide and flip it. For spy baits and hair jigs? Oh, no, 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 no. For drop shot. No, just for drop shot. Oh, I was yeah. so confused for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I was just... <laughs> no, I was like, I'm, I'm not what? typically a long leader guy, though. Like, I don't... Right. I don't know. I'm very See, I'm the exact. I am the exact opposite of my drop shot. I like the same leader lane. That's because so cool. in the, Yeah, so... And everybody has their own thing they're confident in. Yeah. yeah. You, really quick, thinking about that. So with your direct, you know, so you're not to your bait for a hair jig or spy bait. Do you think there'd be any advantage of tying a loop knot so that it has like a free swinging action to it versus a more of a, a clinch? Sure. I think so. I'm just, I just don't, I really am fast with Palomar and kind of lazy half the time. So yeah. Yeah. Like I know guys talk about a tight lining, like Tennessee. If you're going to tight line in like the right way, everyone talks about tying a loop knot. Well, you could probably do the exact same thing with this and get it to swim as straight as an arrow, but I just tie a caliber. That's, that's a topic I really want to di- uh, dig into, but I have no idea who to approach about it. Cause I think it's not, it's a very, very underrated technique that no one talks about. Tight lining. Yeah. Not many yeah. people do it, I feel like. At least I've, I haven't heard I've of it. I've only done it one time on um, – I can never remember the lake. I did it one time, and it was moderately successful, but yeah. – <laughs> Bluff fishing, right? Like, that's where I did yeah. it was I was fishing bluffs on the Tennessee Lake. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's the same place that and scenario I did it on the one time I've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else we got in here. We got a bunch of people in the chat now. We got Rich Lindgren showing up. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, we have a ton of people hopping. Let's see. Going back to spy baits, and I know we've had some questions in here about you know timing and such, and we kind of talked about how there's a couple of weeks to maybe a month, month and a half window where we throw these baits. But talking about color selection, how important do you think – some of the minute details are with, with let's talk more spy baits than anything else. And one thing I wanted to ask you specifically, because on the first podcast you've been on the show for, we had talked about, and you had actually helped me discover the idea of highlighting right under your troubles to give like oh. these small mouth, like a target point. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, really, really Choose. big on 
I'm really big on like having target spots on baits, especially jerk baits and baits that fish are coming up and getting. Um, it's not really something I do that much with spy baits. I don't know that it's really, in my opinion, it's not a bait they're coming up and trying to just smash. Like they track that thing from a long way and they just kind of creep up on it and come up. And maybe they hit it hard at the last second, but a mm. lot of times they're following that thing for a long time. Mm. Same with hair jig, same with like a little uh, swim bait. But like having a bait, like a jerk bait, or I do it on crank bait sometimes, where they're coming up and reactively hitting that thing, target spots to me are really, really critical. Whether it's a little chartreuse on the back end of the bait, um, whether you want to put a red treble hook on the front of your jerk bait or your crank bait. But having something that that bass can key in on that's a little bit different, um, you'll notice a difference on how those fish eat the bait. Right. So that being said, if you think that they're kind of tracking it for a while, then that color is pretty crucial. I think having something very natural, like if you can try to uh, – spy baits particularly, like I am trying to match as close as I possibly can to what they're eating. Like I really want it to look like it's a natural piece of their environment because they're able to see it. A lot of times it's cleaner water technique where I'm fishing it. And so I just want them to get the best look at it and make the decision that it is a living thing and that they come up and eat it. Um, so I'm choosing colors like your shiner. Um, there's an American, let me pull up some color list because I can never remember the actual colors. Seal Dace is a really good new color they came out with. I'm so bad with colors of baits. I could tell you what they look like, but when it actually the names, Andy's really good with it. I'm for the most part the the spy bait game. I haven't really gotten into colors all too much, but I'm kind of like these are the two I'll throw. Like this is the one I'm throwing most of the time when it's sunny out. You kind of see it's got like a purple, pinkish hue to it. That's a good color. It's a shiner color, but I don't remember the exact color. Ghost minnow. Everybody knows Ghost Minnow. That's a really good, clear, sunny day one. And then this is the one I'll throw when it's cloudy. Overcast. Overcast. Yeah. That white. Yeah, it glows. And then this one is very underrated. Ooh. Is that a chartreuse cool color? Yeah, it's got a chartreuse belly oh. and a blue back. And I actually really like this one when it's really sunny out but you get a little bit of a ripple on the water so you have like that five to six mile an hour wind breeze so it's not really clear in the water because then you're getting but you're getting a lot of light through this yeah. one really will get chewed some days like that's that. a sweet looking color yeah, that is, that is I, don't, I bought it on a whim and there was one week a couple years ago this is the only one i could get them to eat that's for whatever crazy. reason Shadow Basson is asking the deepest you would toss a hair jig, what weight? Any difference in line choice? I mean, the line the line we kind of talked about we're pretty universal in the fact that we all kind of agree of braid to, to fluorocarbon leader, that longer leader. Um, mm -hmm. For me personally, and I'm sure these guys might have different opinions. Uh, for me, I'm not tossing a hair jig any deeper than 10, 12 foot, but that's just personal. And I throw that th I throw like an eighth or a three sixteenths and then adding that small piece of plastic is huge for, for casting distance. But Ben, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Same. Like the way that we're fishing is swimming a hair jig, 10, 12 foot's about the maximum depth that I'm going to really fish that thing. Mm. And then I'm fishing a three thirty second or an eighth. That's about it. Pretty similar. 
the line size doesn't change. It's always it's always ten to ten or ten eight to six. six. Yeah. Right. Are there now, any do you see a lot of casting difference between that eight and ten pound braid? Um personally no. But it could be difference in brand. So I'm fishing mm -hmm. I tried the Berkeley X five, which I mm -hmm. really, really like. Um, but it is a different line than like your power pro 10 pound. So it could just be difference in line. So I can't say with certainty. I mean, I haven't really noticed. Have difference. you tried the X nine yet? So it has more strands to it. A I've, little more I've not slicking. tried it. I don't like, so I don't actually like that slick coating. So like the mm -hmm. power pro slick, I'm not a fan. Me either. Honestly. Call me crazy, but like, I like the way that braid, I have almost like contact coming through the guides. Yeah. I, it, it so almost like, winds a little bit more when you set the hook or cast. Yes. So like this, this is the Vermilion Red. It's their traditional Power Pro Red ten pound, and then mm -hmm. I fish the X four and the eight or X five and the eight pound. But they're both phenomenal line. Like just fish something you can see. That's another really, really, really big tip. It doesn't matter if it's red or if it's their high vis or it's their white. I like something that I can see to see if my line makes a movement it shouldn't be making in the middle of the cast mm -hmm. or when I'm fishing something slow. Now, have you ever tried Nanofill? Yes. I've not tried it outside of cold weather months. Mm -hmm. um, and I switched back to braid. I wasn't super excited about it. So it's terrible in cold weather as most braid is. But in the summertime, they stopped making it from what I hear. And it's absolutely sad because with that spy bait and Nanofil with like the eight pound, you can cast way further than you can with normal braid. So I noticed even cold weather, like, dude, you could cast Nanofil. Mm -hmm. But it's insane, super brittle in cold weather. But it's All insanely is, brittle. Insanely mm -hmm. brittle. Yeah. But in the summertime. Was it the deal? I never tried it, it in the summer. It, it can be. I used to only fish with Nanofill on my drop shot rods. It was the only thing I would do because I could, I like casting for them, and the power is really good because it doesn't stretch at all. But you could get away with like a six-pound Nanofill because it was super strong, just like Braid, to like a six- or an eight-pound leader, and you can cast further than Braid, like tenfold. But they stopped, I heard they stopped making it, so I'm like, Yeah, oh. I've not seen it anywhere lately. Mm. Super yeah, I have a couple buddies that um, only use Nanofell for all braid on spinning reels because they can cast 20 to 30 times farther. That's insane. I had I, I literally fished it one time, and then I took it back off and went back to braid. Yeah, in the winter, it's atrocious. But all braid, technically, because if you, if you don't have that slick coating on braid in the wintertime, it absorbs water. So as it gets cold, it freezes when you get below 32 degrees and it actually causes yeah. the braid fibers to separate and it can become very weak. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So like, I I just hate fishing when it's that cold because my line is just miserable. So I didn't know. Yeah. So quick tip for you there, throw Vaseline on your guides or cooking spray the night before you go out and uh, go straight floral. Get away from braid in the winter. Really? Yeah. That's really weird. I, I was like ready to throw all my reels. Like I fish in cold weather, but I absolutely hate it. Like I was ready to just throw my reels in the lake this past year. 
And uh, I actually learned about the braid doing that from steelhead fishing because we used long noodle rods and I would run braid on my spinning reel. Yeah. And I was breaking and I was breaking off like 10 feet above my float in the braid and it was just like exploding. And I was like, it was 12 degrees outside. I'm like, the braid has to be exploding. So <laughs> I actually had a spare spool. So I put the, the mono spool on and no more issues. So when I took it home, when I warmed up and I looked at it, the braid fibers actually separated. Like expanded? They expanded and separated and broke. Oh, that's crazy. So instead yeah. of basically having 10 pound test line, you have individual like, strands of whatever that pound yeah. test. That's mm -hmm. insane, dude. So like if it gets like nicked on a rocket, like the fibers will start separating. That's where it would like expand and crack and break. That's crazy. Yeah. We had this question up for a little bit, uh, yeah. but now that Andy's done with his tangent, Gary is uh, asking if you could see red very well. Yeah, so where I fish is a lot of like the Great Lakes where the water tends to be a little bit more greenish blue. Mm -hmm. um, and so that flash color or like that really high vis yellow, I tend to lose a little bit more than I do the red. So like the red stands out typically against everything with the exception of shoreline. But um, with that green water, I like the red. Right. Have you ever tried think, white? So, so that's, I think, I'm why not, a lot of those guys were fishing that crystal last year, which is like that white X5. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't gotten my hands on any. I only have the moss green or whatever it's called, but I want to try it because I, I am not a huge fan of that um, flash. Like, I just don't, I can't see it well when I get on that green colored water. Mm hmm. Yeah, I like that the white. Way. I also like like a neon green. Yeah, that's what I like a lot. Yeah, on all, on all spinning for me. But is there anything else, uh, Andy or Ben, that we might have missed or might not have covered or should cover with spy baits or hair jigs? Feel free if anyone's missing out too in the chat. Let us know for uh, for missing covering some hellabass. I apparently I'm ignoring your comments. I don't I don't see. We got to give away coffee. Oh we yeah, do. dude. So you have a comment you wanna you wanna pick, Ben? That I'll you can find one. I'll find one really quick. I have one more comment that I want to make about both okay. of these. Okay. Um, and it has to deal with hook set. So when I'm setting the hook on either hair jig or a spy bait, it's never like a hard hook set. Like I'm never like leaning into these fish. It's always like a crankbait hook set where I reel down until I feel pressure and just lean into that fish. Mm -hmm. The hair jigs that I tie, super, super, super light wire, uh, Gamagatsu 111 hook. It's a light wire hook, penetrates really, really easily. Same thing with the spy bait. What you're going to notice is if you actually set the hook hard on a spy bait, you're going to notice that fish comes in with one, one hook. It's typically the back hook because what actually happens is you're pulling those other hooks mm -hmm. away from them. And you're not, like when you reel into that fish, they'll get more hooks and then you're basically just pulling those hooks into their mouth and, and like letting it dig into their flesh. Sounds terrible, but like really I've noticed you get a lot better hook up ratio when you do that. Well, I think the longer rod helps with that too, because yeah, a lot of times with those baits, it's a visual reference. You're seeing them eat it for the most part, yeah. but with that longer hook, like the longer rod, it almost delays it in a sense when you're doing that sweep. Yeah. So you can you just lean and keep reeling faster. It's like a drop shot set. You never really want to hammer them with a drop shot, like flipping a jig. You almost want to reel while leaning into them. 
and you pin them perfectly every time. Yes. But yeah, I noticed that I, I when I first started spy being, I threw it on like a six foot ten rod, like a medium light, almost light action, because it had that beautiful parabolic bend to it. But um, I, when I would set the hook into them, I would pull it out of their face. And then when I went to a seven two, actually my land ratio went way up because I was hooking them better with both trebles in the face. I remember I, I was about up. to swear I was about to swear off spy baits when I originally got started because I would lose so many because mm -hmm. you'd feel them eat it and you'd set them up like a swim bait, right? And then you'd come back and they'd make one jump and that bait would have one hook and gone. Yeah. And those and hooks are only about that big. <laughs> They're tiny. They're number eights or number tens depending on the size you fish. Mm -hmm. Tiny hooks. So yeah, just lean. Yeah. I, I just it, it's such an easy hook set because you really don't have to do much of anything. Just as long as you have your rod tip up and you just yeah you just keep reeling. It's really that's all it is too. And that's that could be kind of difficult for a lot of people, kind of like how you mentioned setting the hook. It's so natural. I mean, I feel like the same thing for hair jig. I don't set the hook on a hair jig. I don't know about you yeah, guys. Me either. It's just a lean. It's just pull and just lean. Right. Let's see any other topics that we can cover i know ben you want to talk about one more thing which i have to go grab so we can actually show it yeah yeah so if you go grab that i'm looking for uh a question but we can use a little bit of this time to kind of talk yeah. about um talk about spy baiting some more so andrew you told a story where you caught a ton of fish that. I'm mm -hmm. back. talk about the conditions that like that spy bait played for you that day because I'm really so, curious. Like you said, it was around the spawn. It was it was pre-spawn. It was right around like the middle of May, and they wouldn't eat a dang thing. But it was bright blue, sunny skies, clear water, slick calm, zero wind. Water temp was right around sixty. It was eighty five degrees out. That's insane. And you, and you had to cast as far as you could, and. Um, the guy was on, I want to say he had like the first version of Hummingbird 360 and we were standing up on his bow together and we could actually see like the individual rock piles with a little bit of fish around so we could cast to them. And um, you would just cast it out, count down to like two or three and eight foot of water and just literally drag it like four foot down. So halfway and I'd say call it 50 feet from the boat, you would just see this big black blob appear and it would just be like, okay, I lost contact with my bait. So you start reeling a little faster and your rod tip will load up and you just lean into them. You're like, it's a six pounder. Like, this is ridiculous. That's so I'll never insane, forget dude. that day. Yeah. it was. So just, like, were you just target casting to dark spots? Um, dark spots and rock piles on 360. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Like, like you would see a rock pile like 75 degrees behind the boat and we would turn and cast to it and catch a fish just floating down this area. Dude, electronics like, have changed. Like this is that's a great example of how mm -hmm. electronics are changing what we're able to do with these baits too. Yeah, because like a lot of times I'm the same way with live scope. Like I'll see a rock pile way before I'll ever be able to see it with my eyes, and make you have to make that cast way, way, way away from it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you can watch your bait almost come down, and you, or if, even if you don't see your bait on it because it's so far out, you'll actually see the fish come up out of the rock. You're like, oh, there's my bait. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so cool. Yeah. I I can't wait to get live scope on my boat. I, first, I have to get an Alltrex or a Ghost because right now I'm rocking a Fortrex. But I'm probably yeah. going to be getting a Ghost here shortly and then the Lorentz version of live scope. 
that's so cool, man. Yeah. Like, forward- and it's cool because I was going to say I have the 12-inch live on the bow of my boat, so I can actually run live scope um, down imaging and 2D or mapping all at the same time right in that live. Dude, see, like, forward sonar is insane. Like, it's mm-hmm. changing it's changing so much for smallmouth guys, but also like watching guys like fish the moment, Johnny Schultz, the way that they're using it and understanding like general Patrick Walters, Patrick Walters, ridiculous, man. Like the way these guys, so many people hate on live scope and forward sonar, but the way that they are changing, like the, the entire industry and the entire sport, because they're, understanding fish behavior to a new level we never we never could before so one of my favorite pictures i just saw recently of patrick walters was when he was fishing rodman at the st john's he was hooked up to a big one right and he's not even paying attention to the fish he's fighting he was on his power pole power pulling down while looking at live scope because i'm sure he saw like two or three more big ones out in front of him like it's, rod it's, off to the side, reeling, looking down with his foot on the power pole paddle, putting his power pole. <laughs> he was already dreaming of that next cast because he saw the big ones on there while fighting like a six pounder or something stupid. It's insane, dude. Like <laughs> I swear, it's just it's mad cool because it's you're tapping into groups of fish that for were unaccessible. That, yeah, that no one has fished before. Mm-hmm. It's so sick, and and the people that hate on it have never used it or seen how cool it is to watch twenty smallmouth chase your bait. And get yeah, and I can't, I can't even necessarily get mad at people that are like way against forward sonar because I remember the same arguments being had when side view came out. Yeah, right. Like when side view came out, people were talking about how inaccessible it was. Like it was too expensive. It was changing the sport for the for the worse. But you're sort of seeing another revolution in electronics that's only going to last. I Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be very long until it's more accessible. Right. Or more, or, or fortunately, I guess. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Hopefully cheaper. I'm super intrigued to see what hummingbirds <laughs> looks like with the 360. Yes. Like a that's 360 gonna live. That's going to be wild. Mm-hmm. Especially if they can get it like crystal clear, like, some of the new live scopes are coming, like Lawrence's. Could you imagine, like, spot locked on a spot with 360, and it looks like an aquarium on your graph, just fish swimming around? I'm just, I would sit there and watch it. I don't even know if I could fish. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, look at that sturgeon swimming by around the boat, trying to follow a fish as it circles you. <laughs> <laughs> just insane. Yeah, that is pretty nutty. Did you guys pick uh, the winners? I picked a comment that I really like um, because I think it was – the reason I chose this comment, I think it was diving a little bit beyond just what bait we're throwing and the gear that we're using, and it's Jacob Meeker. He has what type of structure do you look for when you're fishing these baits. So I really like that. Jacob Meeker, they're giving away some coffee for you, dude. Yeah. I, I think that's the second time he's won something. I was going to say, his name sounds really familiar. Yeah, I think he won at Angler Bowls uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's crazy. Dude's balling yeah. out. For him. Oh, man, that's yeah. awesome. So I, I guess the moral of the story here is ask questions and you get rewarded. Yes. It's there incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Reach out to us, dude, and we'll get that We'll get that sent your way. I mean, it sounds like we're already in connection. So uh, obviously get us your, your contact info if you don't have it already, and we'll get that shipped out to you. Uh, Andy, do you have the 
Um, oh, actually, it's a Facebook share. We'll actually do that towards the end of the show here. Once we're done with Ben, we'll uh, announce the, the next uh, giveaway winner when we look at the Facebook share. So if you're Perfect. on Facebook right now, share this to your feed if you haven't already, and we'll pick another winner to win some outdoorsman coffee. Uh, let's Heck see. Yeah. Ben, I have I have these up here. I have a couple things, actually, that I wanted to, to bring up and discuss. Okay, so um, basically, before we got on live, I was talking with Bailey and Andrew. Um, because I started up a brand new channel called the bait making channel, which essentially is dedicated towards like my passion of making baits, right? Like we have all winter long and we have this miserable cold weather. And so I spend a lot of my winter making jigs and pouring jigs and trying to pour plastics before it gets too cold. Um, but I posted a video yesterday where I was making an affordable ultra, ultra premium direct to head chatterbait or a vibrating bladed jig. And I don't have any with me, but essentially what I was doing is I'm using do it mold, sparky head mold, use aftermarket, basically chatterbait blades and then super premium hooks. But there was a comment that came through on my video that was talking about the Queens tackle switchblade. And the reason I brought it up is because I saw that you guys are sponsored or work with Queens tackle. Um, and I think it's really all like, it's an awesome product that you can use to make your own vibrating jig, even if you don't have access to maybe all of the components or the lead pouring stuff to make your own vibrating jigs. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was actually wanted to ask you if you use switchblades to make those, cause I didn't watch the full video yet. I actually have it stockpiled. Nope. Uh, but yeah, queen tackle makes like what's called a switchblade. What's cool is they make it in multiple sizes and colors. So they have, a silver, and this is actually the large size. Let me get this up here so you guys can actually see it. And they have that direct tie. You see they're doing a horrible job at showing this. So you can actually see it has that swivel, so you can actually get that direct tie. So that's a large size, and they actually have a smaller size as well as gold that you can kind of be able to get customized with if the, it's really not. Flip it, flip it the other way, Bailey, so the swivel lays down so you can see the direct tie. See. Yeah, and so the big thing with that is the reason, in my opinion, one of the reasons that a, a vibrating jig is, or from Z-Man is so good is because the blade physically connects to the standard line tie, yeah. and it can actually chatter against the head, right? You actually get the kicking against the head, which causes the head to have movement and mm -hmm. sound, um, yeah. as opposed to like a split ring. And it's a queen's yeah, it has a really cool piece of technology if you want to kind of dive into that. Yeah, so basically all you do, if I can get it to focus again in here, if you see there's the bar laying across, but there's two bars that are keeping that one bar in place. And basically all you have to do is take your pliers. I'm actually posting a video. Uh, I think it's going to go out this Thursday. Uh, I'm talking with Jeff on – we're going to try to make it like a – see if we can get some Jeff in on some segments. Jeff is the owner of Queen Tackle. Let's see if we can get him on some segments of the video to add to it for more information because obviously he's the master of it. Um, I'm only just diving into it this past year, but basically all you do is those two bars that are keeping that, that smaller horizontal bar in place. You can use your pliers. Let's see if I can get a good view of there. You can use your pliers to bend those back and that bar comes out and all you do is insert the eye of your jig. It's gotta be a vertical eye. You can't like use any jig heads that have a horizontal eye. And that's basically the end product there is it has that you just insert your eye and that gives it so much more free range of motion 
and the thump is ridiculous, especially because it has that more room to give side to side. And it's it hunts a ridiculous amount, and that's that's what you want in your chatterbait. And it's it's just it's a really fun thing to kind of dive into. Um, I would have noticed though, like if you have like I've tried putting it on a while back. I put it on one of the dirty jigs, swim jigs, and the eyes a little bit bigger on a dirty jig. The thump isn't as good. You have to play around with kind of the combination. It takes a little bit more work to kind of get to perfect it. You kind of have to perfect that trailer. Like if you have a crawl trailer that has a lot of more propulsion. It's not as effective or as hard of a thump. But if you have like a like what is it the uh, Big Bites Kamikaze Swimmer Swim On? Yep. Kamikaze swim on that's all you feel is an insane amount of thump it hunts ridiculous if you have that simple fluke style like trailer um you can do a bunch of different modifications with it uh like a little sleeper here for you guys too I don't, i'm not afraid to show it on here uh slapped one on a swing head and that that action is unreal it's 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 bonkers the action on a swing head, but you can, that's what that's cool about it is you if you have a jig with a vertical line tie, which I mean I might even try to take one of those smaller blades and put it on a hair jig and see what happens. But you can just get so creative with it, and I think that's what's cool and that's what's sweet about your channel, dude, is that you're going to be able to expose some of these things and give people some ideas. Yeah, and that's really all it is is like talk about the modifications I make, like. I'm I'm a real nerd when it comes to bass fishing. Like that's all I think about when I say other than family. Like all I think about is bass fishing. So like coming up with different hook models to use and why I choose certain hook diameters, which sounds so nerdy. It may never grow that big. I mean, hopefully it does. But it's just my way or my outlet of sharing the stuff that goes in my brain to make the stuff that I make. Right, and I'm totally realizing right now. <laughs> I have this on upside down. <laughs> facing the other way so that's one thing to be cognizant of is you there's actually a back to how you're supposed to tie these on so like the hook's facing this way and the line tie is facing towards the hook so make sure you're what are you doing jump he's gonna tie it out and cast it out and the blade's gonna come back back yeah exactly the football head's gonna be over the blade it's just gonna make like this weird clap sound might work. Then he'll get, then he'll get bit, and then it'll yeah. But the hook is down, so he's gonna miss every bite. Yeah. <laughs> a really good question here from Bo Judd, uh, asking how well that connection hold up when used with braid. I have actually, I don't really, I don't ever throw chatterbaits on braid uh, for the pure fact of, um, I don't like to to risk the chance of like you got a big fish at the boat and it bends out the hook uh, with that braid. Um, that's just kind of personal preference. I doubt that it'll happen all the time, but I like to throw like a 15 to 20 pound fluorocarbon, but I know KJ queen, the son of Jeff has thrown it um, on braid uh, like down in Florida and stuff. And he never had an issue. He's landed some freak giants uh, and it's dive into go listen to um, let's talk fish with Matt Airy. They had on KJ and Jeff the other day and they dove into like, I would love to reiterate it, but it would just take forever to reiterate because I dove into how creative you can get with those switchblades and how where you can implement them in your game without, you know, beyond just putting a swim jig, a swim jig or a jig head on. Um, but yeah, super, super custom, super creative. Um, what kind of modifications do you see yourself trying to get creative with with chatterbase that maybe not others have? 
honestly, like I don't fish a vibrating jig hardly at all. Like like very limited amounts. I guess I shouldn't say hardly at all. I do a lot for for largemouth. Don't really do it for smallmouth. So like in the last couple of years, I haven't really fished one. Um, I don't know that I have any major modifications, but just being able to make my own makes me not as afraid to put like ultra premium components because it cost me like three dollars and fifty cents to make a ultra premium bladed jig as opposed to a sixteen dollar jackhammer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so like legit one of my biggest gripes is that like you can't the best secret vibrating jig is the tackle warehouse chatterbait right like that is such a good vibrating jig for mm -hmm. $6.99 or whatever it is but like I just prefer if I'm going to lose a bunch to pike in the springtime I'm going to be losing three fifty with some good hooks on them right Fair I enough. mean, what you take so a pack of switchblades. I pulled up Queen's site real quick. They're about uh, three ninety nine. Uh, they're actually five ninety nine for a three pack, and it's for, if you take a swim jig, which they make swim jigs that are tungsten, for five ninety nine, and you have yourself a cheaper and better chatterbait for twelve bucks, and you can have multiple because it comes yes. in three packs. So. Not now that we're just selflessly plugging Queen right here, but it's just it's these are twenty percent off. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, twenty yeah, percent off. If we really want to sell this plug here, you got we have there's a code at the bottom if you guys want to get uh, twenty percent off if you want to get yourself some. But for real, like the, the modifications though that do get bites, it's something different that these fish have never seen before, and that's the point of why we're actually putting a video out about the switchblade is because it's something the fish don't see. I mean, this mm -hmm. no one else to do. To my knowledge, and, and Ben, you can, or Andy, I know you guys are way bigger, you know, bait heads than I am. Um, so you would have way better knowledge than I. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that's selling just individual blades. No. No, there's like Phoenix sells the blades. Um, Phoenix actually made the original vibrating jig yeah. that um, right. Brett Height used to make a bunch of money on. Then they had to switch their design because of Zena and Norma license to it. But um, they sell the blades it's that, that um, um, use. <laughs> Echoing a little bit. <laughs> You're echoing now? Ben's headset is, is going haywire on us. No, I think we're good now. It could be because I took the AirPods out. They're starting to hurt my ear. So my apologies. That was probably what the echo was for a second. <laughs> no, we're all set. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's there's like different ideas floating around too about what you can throw that on uh to kind of trigger different bites uh and i was sworn to secrecy on those so unfortunately i can't spill those yet i'm gonna allow the person to spill the beans on that once they uh decide they're ready <laughs> it's just not my thing to give out i hope people can respect that uh but I'm, tr I'm trying to think. Um, oh, this is my question I was about to ask you, Ben. Um, on the topic of chatterbaits, and this is something Andy and I go on and on about still, are you a glass guy or a graphite guy? A uh, glass guy. Glass. I I'm really, like, <laughs> I, I, love, I love a composite rod. And so the biggest thing for me is I throw it on a, light, a lot lighter line then I think a lot of people throw it on. I throw it on like 12 to 15 pound tests. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing for me is you can tell how much faster it starts up on lighter line. Like if you go out and throw it on, just 
go try it. Throw it on 20-pound tests like you would normally throw, or a lot of guys say they throw a bladed jig on, and then go throw it on 12, 14-pound test line. The blade starts up so much faster just because of the line diameter connecting to the blade. It's, it it's deeper night too. and day. Yeah, it runs deeper. And so that lighter rod, it's not like a light rod. It's a seven, it's a brand new rod from TFO, 7.4 glass composite rod. It loads up better and it helps me like, instead of it being like a vicious like rip out of the grass, it's sort of like sponges it through and causes that thing to almost slingshot out. And I think you get more bites that way. How many times have you gone to like, like on that sponge effect when you go to rip it out of the grass and the rod loads up and all of a sudden it releases and all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, there he is. Yeah, exactly, dude. So instead of like, you go to rip it and it like doesn't fully rip. It like pulls that grass. And yeah. then when it releases that bait, all so like, like, cool. it almost, yeah, exactly, dude. So like it almost pulls that grass and like right before it would rip that grass mm -hmm. out from the root and then it like lets go. Yeah. And then as soon as it lets go, that's when I get a lot of my bites versus when I'm fishing out on like a seven, three heavy or a seven, three, even a medium heavy standard. And I just rip the whole and, I rip and you come back either with grass on your hook or it just snaps out super hard. Like, I think that delay actually lets that fish kind of see it scoop forward. And then it just comes like, it's almost a double, a double action, a mm -hmm. secondary action. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big glass guy. I'm a huge believer. My favorite chatterbait rod I've ever thrown the chatterbait on was the KVD Power Launcher seven foot four medium heavy that yeah. comes it because it's that same thing. Like when they would get in that grass, you could pop it, but you get that delayed pop, and that's every time is when you get your bite. But you can also burn it, and you don't even really hit to set the hook with it because of that glass. You it's more of that sweep set and reel as fast as you can and walk back with them. They're always. They don't come off, I feel like. Like your hookup to land ratio is way better with that composite glass than with uh just straight graphite. Well, and, and again, man, a lot of those fish are eating that bait and they're getting it so good in their mouth. <laughs> like if you I found if I use a, a straight graphite rod or straight uh, carbon fiber rod, you're actually pulling that hook out of parts of their mouth, right? Like a lot of times they'll mouth almost the entire bait. And you're not driving the hook home. You're just literally ripping it. Mm -hmm. So I've found so much more success on that composite. Are you setting the hook or is it more of a reel down and sweep? No, I set the hook. Like I pull it. Yeah. Uh, and what's really weird about a vibrating, like a vibrating jig chatterbait, like, like you said, man, you can fish that thing fast. And like when they hit it and they just stop it, and you don't have time to set the hook, they just tend to get it so good. Like mm -hmm. that rod absorbs it so much. Like it doesn't like shock that bait. Where it oh, just I should have like a jackhammer because it has that ultra premium hook on it that just sticks them. Yeah. You don't even have to like set the hook, but I set the hook. Like if, if I'm using oh, a single I mean, hook, anything, man, I'm just going to like, Oh, you ripped their face off. But with that glass rod, it, it absorbs it so well that it pins them just so yes. deep. I've had a couple chatterbait fish where I've actually struggled to get the hook out of them. <laughs> fix them so good with like a glass composite rod. Yeah. And it's I always like on the inside that. upper part of the cheek, right in all that meat where it I'm just doesn't come off. I'm a big fan of like a moderate rod. So mm -hmm. like I was always a big fan of like for years, it was like my age group, everyone preached like a fast rod or an extra fast rod. Like you want this super highly reactive rod. 
Well, now I'm starting to see like with these super lines, your braids and your fluorocarbons that have no stretch and no give, super sensitive, like go into more moderate rods that still have like the quickness and, and crispness that you parabolic bend exactly, to Exactly, dude. Like, like I'm fishing, my drop shot rod is a 713. So they call it a 7-1 medium light. It's basically like a 7-1 medium moderate fast rod. Mm -hmm. So it's crisp enough where like you still get all the sensitivity. Like a lot of people mistake a slow action with no sensitivity, which doesn't necessarily have to go hand in hand, right? Like you still get a little bit of the crispness that you would expect from a fast, mm -hmm. but it loads up so deep into that rod. Like I can fight those fish on a drop shot so, so well. That's a really good point. I think that's one thing that like, – I feel like a good amount of people kind of overlook is how imperative rod actions can be. And I say that out of, I'm at fault for that as well. And that's something that Andy has actually helped me with. I mean, I can put things to use, but like when it comes to the minute details and really trying to think like dumb things down, that's probably one of my biggest weaknesses is like more. Cause like if I have things go wrong, I more of think to what am I doing wrong mechanically versus what is my equipment doing wrong? Well, and, and the other big thing here, man, is like everything is so tailored to the way that each of us fish. Like what works for me may not work for you, may not work for Andrew. And my buddy, Nerds, my buddy Nathan, him and I are best friends. We fish fairly similar, but his rod action and his rod length and power is so much different than mine because of the way that he sets a hook and the way that he fishes. And so like I've gotten the opportunity to fish a bunch of different rods over the years to really figure out, okay, this is what I'm looking for in a drop shot rod. This is what I'm looking for in a, a bladed jig rod. And so I've kind of gotten to dial that in a little bit and kind of tailor what I want. And then working with TFO to really say, okay, what do we have that fits this specific like um, action power and length. Right. So just really cool opportunities. And I've been very lucky to style in, but, for everyone listening, like, don't take our word for, like, gold. Find you have your own to comfort. Find exactly. your own comfort zone. Yeah. Exactly. We can disagree all that we want, but fish what you have confidence in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, yeah, don't be afraid to try different things out. Like, I, I use the graphite for chatterbaits, and I could probably count on one hand how many fish I lost, but with how much I've heard many people, as well as Andrew, Tell me how good a glass rod is. I went and bought a, it was the Daiwa Type H. Um, what is it, DX? DX Type yeah, H? It's designed right after the evergreen Hercules Leopold. So it's literally the exact same rod, but it was Daiwa's cost-effective way. Because a lot of people don't realize that Daiwa and evergreen actually work hand-in-hand -hand with a lot of the rod design. So Daiwa ships the evergreen series of rods around the USA. So like that's crazy. Combat, I have no idea. Yeah. So the combat series, Daiwa actually ships those rods. So that's where that DX uh, type H glass rod came about is designed specifically after the Hercules Leopold rod. Cause that rod in Japan is $900 USA. So like, you're not going to go out and spend $900 on a chatterbait rod. <laughs> no, I got yeah. it on sale on tackle warehouse for 80 bucks. It was yeah. fun. And yeah. if you don't like it, I'm going to buy it from you. So, <laughs> I mean, I've been just like any other northerner in the winter, flipping around my basement aimlessly with nothing to do, and it feels really nice. I'm just really excited this week to obviously throw it down in Tennessee. 
Uh, the other thing, dude, is is I've experienced the versatility of a glass rod and a, and a composite rod in throwing um, like the L bills that are brand new to the market, or, or some of them are a little bit older, or like lipless crankbaits. Mm-hmm. Right? For me, I I can't throw a lipless on anything other than a composite rod. Now it is just really? night and day difference. It's the same concept as your. Um, vibrating jig chatterbaits like the way that thing comes through grass and the way it rips and it may be different on gunnersville i got my eyes beat square bills too square bills the same thing like a 2.0 or 2.5 square a glass rod the way it absorbs when they eat that thing is incredible yeah or a composite rod so you're gonna see like this whole new realm of stuff open for you by using that you're gonna be like oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's if you don't want to take my word for it, take Ben's. Right. <laughs> Real quick, my word's ben. not necessarily great, though. By the way, I <laughs> <laughs> was that working by the TFO. Like you're you're designing a good amount of their lineup, correct? Uh, I got yeah. So I got the opportunity to help with the drop shot rod, the seven thirteen that's coming out this year. Um, we're coming out with, like I mentioned, a hair jig, spy bait, swim bait, finesse sort of rod, um, and then. I got the opportunity to play with those composite rods last year before they came out. It was one of those things where I wanted to tell everyone because it's just so ridiculously good. What is the price point on those composite rods? $159. Not bad. $149 or $159. So it's really not bad. Um, Super, super good components. Right. Yeah. There is a electronics – debate going on in the chat right now. Not really debate, but more of a conversation. Uh, but we did have actually a question just come in from Bo Judd. said, uh, Ben, so you're saying that if the fish eat the blade and all, the slower rod will not blow the bass mouth open on the hook set increasing. Yes. Correct. Right. Moderate yeah. action is what? It basically, <laughs> like, it, it's a rubber band effect. The best way that I've ever heard a moderate rod explanation explained to me was, like, if you were to take a rubber band and you held that rubber band, right? Uh, and you t- hooked it to a paper clip. Okay. That, r- that paper clip would never pierce your finger, but if you move your finger and you pull it with that rubber band, it's going to stretch and expand. It's going to basically allow that paper clip to stay hooked to your finger because that rubber band or that rod, which has a slower or moderate movement. Yes. will help those fish stay pinned. Versus a glass rod, which is just super reactive a lot of times, tends to uh, give that paper clip or give that hook the ability to come free. Or when you set the hook, pull it, pull it away from them. <laughs> <laughs> Slingshot engage. <laughs> I've sounded so funny. I love Zach. Dude, that, Zach that's is a little uh, Talladega Nights reference. <laughs> Oh, dude, I'm so bad with movie quotes until someone was like, hey, and then I. Uh, I think Andy and I's favorite is just one to do with my hands. (laughs) Slingshot engaged. Really quick quick here before we we start wrapping up. Um, If you guys, because people are talking about electronics and such in the chat. If you had to choose between Panoptics or 360, which one would you go with? Oh, it's so situational based for me. Um, Panoptics or live scope? Panoptics. I would go 
it really depends on how you fish. If you're a, if you're a guy that likes to fish deeper than ten foot of water, I would go live scope or pan optics. I mean, mm-hmm. but if you can get live scope or three hundred and sixty, go live scope with the perspective mode. It basically has a like sort of modern sort of three hundred and sixty. Yeah. yeah. So hmm. interesting. I think I'd go three hundred and sixty personally. Three hundred and sixty is super like. unique, but because I mean. I was out with my buddy Casey who has 360 and we were talking about this for a while and he was looking at it where he goes, he goes, I'd rather uh, spend more time trying to figure out where they live than just going around looking for the fish. If you find out where they live, chances are there's, there are going to be more, but if you're like, if you're just looking for fish, chances are they might not be in that exact spot where you last found them. But if for 360, you find out where they live, then you obviously have always have that area. If that makes any sense. I probably explained yeah. horribly, but it made no, sense. No, I mean, I get it. Um, you know, I actually fish more areas where I don't see fish with live scope than I do. Like, I'm fishing very specific spots. Like, I'm using it to make directed casts mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, fishing fish. I think that's the biggest misconception about live scope is you see all these videos where guys – and, like, even with the new active target or whatever – where guys are like targeting fish, but using it to actually understand what the bottom looks like mm-hmm. um, has been really. Like if you pan, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, there's a boulder." You can cast right to that boulder yeah. without seeing the fish there. And I say this without having used 360, so this isn't like necessarily necessarily like a, a great comparison. But like I know, like I can look for a ledge, or I can look for where a drop, like a boulder, comes and falls off the edge. So, yeah. yeah, I know that's that's pretty similar to how a lot of guys use 360. Is you know those have the boulder or maybe you know a ledge off to your right. They can see on 360. You take your rod, you line it up on there, and then cast. That's kind of like yeah. kind of similar to how I do it. And I'm sure you know pinpoint from like a boulder standpoint from like an isolated cover. Panoptics is probably better because you can pretty much almost you know yeah on a dime. Or S360, you're kind of making that guess coordinate with your rod and where it lays on the graph. Um, I'm super interested by the future of electronics, man. Oh, yeah. I don't oh, know where it's going to yeah. go. Yeah, 100%. Um, is there any more topics that we want to cover tonight before we sign off here? I got one last question for you, Ben. Um, yeah. Other than that, do yeah. we have something we want to cover? Only if someone else has a question for me. True. Yeah, if you guys have any, any more questions, throw them in the chat. Uh, we have to announce our last winner here, but real quick for, for you, Ben, my question for you is, is there, let me rephrase that. Who, in your mind, who is the one, who is one of the best smallmouth anglers that no one's heard of or that doesn't have the recognition? Like maybe they're not on social media. Other than me? No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Saw that coming. I would just <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, honestly, oh, that's tough. My circle is so social media driven and like mm-hmm. so small. Like, I mean, they could be on social media, but maybe yeah, some no, no, but like Kobe's phenomenal smallmouth angler, Kobe mm-hmm. Pellerino. He's very well known by right. a lot of people that are small. Um, I don't know, man. Like, 
my circle is, is like this big. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I want to like really improve upon is like starting to network and be better at networking. I'm mm -hmm. really terrible at it. And my brain is like, how do I catch more small bass as opposed to like looking at anything outside of me? So I don't know. I really don't. Hmm. It's an interesting sure to think about. But like, there's no, like no one smallmouth fishes around here. You have Tom and Kobe who are like buddies. And then you have myself and then you have the St. Clair crew. But right. like where I'm at, there's not really that many guys. Andy Hoot around here. Who do you have an answer for that? It's. I mean, I'm sure we could go on for a long time of how many underrated anglers there are that no one really knows about, but there are some damn good sticks out there. I was my, just my most underrated smallmouth fisherman, in my opinion, and he taught me just about everything I know. Him and his dad. His dad has a Allison. He was actually in this group chat. Is Sean Ferkins? He's also another guide. That kid. He bought a boat this year. He shows up, fishes a tournament on Lake Erie for the first time in like four years, I want to say, and he would damn near almost won the dang thing. <laughs> oh, he's literally one of the most incredible fishermen I know, and he has taught me just about everything I do. I know personally. Um, he and his dad used to compete like in the Redmonds. They, um, the guy I bought my house from, they fish like pro turt i want to say it was pro a pro circuit in canada or like a semi-pro circuit in canada and did really well up there him and his dad um well his dad and the guy i bought my house from but he literally sean is incredible finesse fisherman for smallmouth just insane that's so cool. yeah he, that's he's, so cool man yeah Allison, so so funny story. First time I ever went in that Allison on the Upper Niagara, there's like four to six mile an hour current everywhere, and uh, his dad's pulling rods out of the rod locker as all these boats are taking off. It's a three hour turn. I go, we should probably go. We're gonna get beat. He goes, we'll catch him. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I have no idea how fast this boat is. We went 87 miles an hour upstream and past every boat. <laughs> Dude, was it insane? Like, were you just it's a new level. Yeah. The thing is, you don't realize how fast you're going because your cheeks are literally like on the floor of the boat. <laughs> your legs are straight and you're running and it's glass. You can feel like every riffle of the water on your cheeks as you're running down <laughs> 87 miles an hour. Terrifying. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's literally a potato <laughs> chip. He was self-voting himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, fair. You. you have to always have that confidence. Right? The serious yeah. move of the week right there. Yes. <laughs> I and Ben, I think you would really enjoy a conversation with this guy. Uh, his name is Dean Meckis. He's mm -hmm. a guide on the St. Lawrence River. Taught me a lot about the St. Lawrence. The way he kind of approaches smallmouth is super interesting. And I'm really trying to get him on the show. And I think what we're, what we're trying to do is uh, for – I'm traveling with Destin for the opens and we're going to St. Lawrence. We're actually going to stay at his house, try to make it like, almost somewhat force him to come on the show. Like, like, hey, we're doing a live tonight, by yeah, the way. While we're sitting there, we're doing, I'll just pull up the podcast <laughs> and be like, oh yeah. So start talking to Dean and see if he even notices that he's on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> but no, he's a really, really good dude. He, um, he guides in the St. Lawrence in the summer months and then 
fishes like Florida Okeechobee stuff in the winter. He's like one of the snowbirds. That's so cool. Yeah, lives the life. But just a really interesting question I had. That's all I want to yeah, see. Man, I, I wish. About. You know, I run into this a decent bit. Is my network is so small around here? Like, there's not that many guys that fish the lake that I fish. That it's one of those things. I'm torn between like there's no one really to share information with. There's just not like, uh, so I don't have the network to share it with. And I'm always like ripping my hair out. Like what the hell are these fish doing? It drives me crazy. It does. It drives me so insane. Cause then I don't have like the other local guys that can be like, Hey, mm-hmm. why is this not working? Like why is what I'm thinking that should make sense? Not making sense right now. Right. Actually, actually, no, I take this all back. I have one guy that I need to give a shout out to Trent Masterson. Okay. No one, no one probably has ever heard of this guy, but phenomenal, incredibly detailed angler, super, super underrated, um, but phenomenal fisherman. Heck and yeah. I just started connecting with him in the fall of this last year. So, nice. Well, maybe we'll have to connect and try to get him on the show. That'd be pretty yeah, cool. He's he's a very interesting. unbelievable fisherman. Yeah, I would love to get Caleb. Uh, Bass Quest up in the north for a while and see how he kind of breaks it apart because his philosophies are super interesting to listen to. Caleb's brain works in different ways. <laughs> not not human. <laughs> no. So I'm I'm looking forward to Friday with him and Rudd. I'm just gonna sit in the back and just listen to Caleb talk. I think that's what I'm gonna. That's the plan. He's so good. Yeah, because he like you don't have to even ask anything. He just breaks it down out loud. He, yeah, even, he like, talks to. <laughs> I don't know if he's talking to me or to himself, but dude will break it down, and I'm like. I didn't think of it this way. Like I just knew that I was catching fish here. Like for example, and then I'll let you guys go. We were fishing <laughs> this river spot and there was, there's two rivers that flow in. I had been catching fish off of this current scene because this river had started pushing a little bit more water. And then all of a sudden, like the bite started to slow up, slow down. And Caleb goes, I bet you that I'm going to catch one right here. And he cast it over into the other scene. And what had happened was, this one, this river had stopped. The other one had started pushing, and he noticed that there were some bubbles coming down the, the lake or some shit, <laughs> and just started smashing them. And he's like explaining this in real time. He's like, "Dude, see those bubbles? Like that means they're turning on the water upstream." I'm like, "I have no clue." Like, what? He's ridiculous, man. He's so good. He's so good. He broke down a spot that I fished for five years, and like, kind of thought I knew. In like uh, two like two hours. Spectrum. Yeah. So ben, we're you're in what Michigan, right? Yeah. So learn how to steelhead fish some of your streams that are hydro generated, so hydroelectric generated the the dams, and see how they pertain to current breaks on those dam streams. And it will teach you so much about smallmouth, you won't even believe it. Really? So, like, that's – I have another buddy that, that steelhead fishes a lot. Phenomenal river fisherman. Yeah. I'm a terrible river fisherman. It, I'm it, so bad. It teaches you all about, like, how they'll pertain to certain current breaks. Like, when it comes to a river system, the fish will all set up the same in rivers because – they're taking breaks from the current. They're using ambush points. So if you can learn how the water flows in like these rivers, you can go down to like 
a bigger river, say, let's call it the Detroit River, by looking at the bottom composition, you can almost see where the, you can almost figure out where those fish are going to set up based on looking at your graphs in the bottom composition of how the current's flowing. How much does how much does current play for you guys out here? Or when more My so when out here a lot. Cause there's like a nat you gotta think there's a natural flow because like Niagara's flowing into Ontario. So there's gonna into Niagara Falls. Yeah. So like, like the so main like, lake, there's not gonna be a lot of current, but you gotta think that there's a natural flow, yeah. So do you look at spots and say, Okay, this spot should be good right now because of this wind? I mean, like how much uh, does it do? So much wind driven. Um on my end of the lake, I can almost figure out where they're going to be set up on the humps because of the current. So if I have certain wind, they're going to set up on it. Maybe not in this particular spot where I'm used to catching them. They might shift like three or four feet or well, let's call it 15 yards to a different part of it based on the wind. But the current is so strong in relative term to like the rest of the Great Lakes where I'm at because of the drawing power. So if I run down the river six miles, I'm going to fall over Niagara Falls from Buffalo. So like, or it's either six or 16 miles. I don't remember the exact amount. Yeah. It's so close. Like from where I can launch my boat and then I run out in the lake and make a right. We have the Peace Bridge, which connects Buffalo to Fort Erie in Ontario. And the current underneath there is 10 to 12 miles an hour in spots, if not faster. So there's this giant funnel effect where it slims down to a half mile wide river moving at like 15 miles an hour. That's silly, dude. That's yeah. With yeah. The, and Buffalo lies in the northeast of the way the Lake Erie lays and the predominant wind is southwest. So literally the current is always pushed to my end of the lake. Always. That's crazy. Like that's one of my big things is I I fish the Great Lakes almost predominantly almost exclusively, mm. and like I'm still learning how fish are moving around based on you ju just natural currents of the river that flows through, but also like the wind currents, the wind mm -hmm. currents. So, right, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's it for tonight, fellas. You guys got anything before we sign off here? I mean, I'm good. Before I give up too much juice, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't have any uh, closing notes, so if the folks don't have anything, I think we're uh, we're gonna call it a night. Um, without, well, I can't close it out because actually I have the winner right here. Uh, Warren Beard is the winner of the second pack of uh, Outdoorsman Coffee. So Warren, uh, if you're still on here, get in touch with us. If not, I will uh, obviously try to reach out to you, get your contact information. We'll send you some coffee, dude. So congratulations! Thank you for That's sharing awesome. the Facebook feed. Uh, guys, like we mentioned before, every Monday we're giving away two packs. It's always the same rule. Share it on Facebook or, or comment. You know, best comment's going to win. But as always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, any, you guys have any last notes before we sign off tonight? No, dude. Thank you guys for having me. It was yeah, a lot of thank fun. You. Thanks That's for spending a few hours with us. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. I love talking fishing. Like, my brain yeah. just never stops. So thanks for having me. Thank sure. you. As, as always, everybody, appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.